Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be home. <laughs> oh, man, I missed all of you. It's good to see so many familiar faces. Um, I love being here. My family is scattered throughout the building, as you have seen. Uh, since last time I've been here, there's a lot more of us. And... Uh, I hope this number stays, at least for a long time. <laughs> but uh, um, it's always a pleasure to be back here, to be with you, to worship with you, um, and just to be among what God is doing here at Resurrection. I love it, and I'm excited to give the word today. So I heard you guys are in a series talking about treasure and talent, and I was asked to preach on treasure and then I heard the tithe video, and I'm like, okay, I can preach a different sermon now. I don't need to preach on that. Um, but uh, it's actually, uh, and before I get into it, I just, warning, I cannot stay after service, unfortunately, uh, for a good reason. Uh, for those of you that have been following along with Zion, we are now meeting in house churches. Uh, so our house church in Park Slope uh, is one of the members that uh, came to Christ about three months ago on our retreat. He's hosting one of our house churches now, and I'm actually going there to baptize him later uh, in his house. So, you know, my scheduling is great, obviously. Uh, booked both of those on the same day, but I'm excited to do both of these, just being here among you and then uh, going and watching him dedicate publicly his life to Christ. Um, so, Today I'll be speaking about giving God all. It's actually a message I preached to our church uh, a few months ago and uh, just felt led to preach it today. And uh, it, is, it is a sermon that has been a long time in the making for me, and it is a sermon I think will bless us all because uh, it's not just about money. Money is a byproduct of what God wants to do in our heart. Uh, and the beauty of what we do with our money is it, it shows uh, what God has done with our heart. Uh, and as that video said, there's no escaping. You know, you can fake it till you make it on Sunday with your hands up, the smile on, the worship loud, but your bank accounts don't lie, you know, and that's the beauty about them. And uh, so this is a, a beautiful thing that we get to talk about because it is talking about something that's very near and dear to God's heart. So the passage that we're going to kind of reflect on today is a passage that I keep coming back to. It's Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It's the shortest parable in the Bible that Jesus gives, and it says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I remember when I was a teenager here at Resurrection, there was a guest speaker that came, and he asked a question. And that question haunted me for a really long time uh, because of where my heart was when he asked him. The question that he asked was this, if God asked you to give away all of your money, would you? If God asked you to give away all of your money, would you? 
Now, the reason why that question haunted me was because the answer to that question was no. You know, that question wouldn't haunt you if the answer was yes. It'd be like, fine, move on. Let me go on to the next thing. What, what else you got for me, God? But the answer to that question was a resounding no in my heart. And so it stuck with me because I knew that that probably wasn't the right answer that I was supposed to be feeling and the answer that I was supposed to be giving. So for years and years, I pondered this question. If God asked me to give everything, would I? It actually turned out to be a decade-long journey for me, trying to figure out the answer to that question. And that question really radically changed my Christian walk because it radically changed my view of money. And that is what I hope that we can receive today. See, there's an encounter in the Gospels where Jesus meets with somebody and he asks him the same question that that man posed so long ago here at Resurrection. And that question haunted this man just like that question haunted me as a young teen. And we're going to read that encounter that Jesus has in Mark chapter 10, verse 21. See, the difference between the man that Jesus asked the question to and me was this man has a lot of money. As a teenager, I did not have a lot of money. But in my heart, there would be a day where I had a lot of money. And the question I asked myself was, there in that day, would I give it all? And I wondered that day because I knew I wouldn't give what I had, which was the meager amount. So the question was, would I give all to God when I had more, even though when I had little, I still wouldn't give it to him? So in Mark chapter 10, Jesus has this encounter and we're going to read just verses 21 to 23. It says this. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you some context to what's happening here in this passage. Jesus is teaching to the crowd. And while he is teaching, there's a person that's come up here. We never know his name, but we know him identified as the rich young ruler. Now, the, the man that comes to Jesus, the rich young ruler, it says before this that he held the law perfectly. That when he was asked to describe if he was a good follower of God, he says this, that he never stole, he never committed adultery, he did not dishonor his parents, he never lied, etc. He went through the Ten Commandments and said, I've held them well, I've done well. But Jesus loves this man, and because he loves him, he asks him a pointed question about his heart. Sometimes it's the people who ask us the toughest questions, the one who loves us the most. See, Jesus looks at his heart and he sees something there. He sees that even though this man has kept the law, for us, even though this 
person, even though we have come to church week after week, even though we have worshipped, even though we have been to loud prayer meetings, even though we have fasted, even though we have been nice, even though we have done everything that we have been told to do, Jesus looked into his heart and he saw that there was a peace missing. And that peace was this man loved money more than he loved God. And so because of that, like God always does, he finds the things that we love. And then he asks us to give it up for him. Because it's very easy to give up and to do the things that are not hard, that are not sacrificial, that do not cost us anything. It may not cost you a lot to come on a Sunday and worship. It may cost you a lot. I don't know. But for this man, it didn't cost him a lot to honor his parents. It didn't cost him a lot to not lie. It didn't cost him a lot to do these things. But the one thing that would cost him a lot, he wouldn't give. And so when Jesus asks him this question, it says that he turns away because his great possession caused him to walk away from Christ. His material wealth was greater than the treasure that God offered. You know what's interesting about this is God doesn't say just give it all away, good luck with your life. He says that there is greater treasure that is waiting for you if you give away the treasure that you have now. So often what we have in our hand is greater than what God wants to give us in our mind. What I have is better than what God has for me. And so that's what we're saying to God when God says, give me this in your life. What you're saying to him when you say no is, God, I know that what I have is better than what you have. And so this man says no to Jesus, and he walks away because the treasure that Jesus offered him was not as great as the treasure that he had, or so he thought. See, in the parable that we opened up with, We have two very different people. What we just read is we have a man who looks at the treasure that God offers and says, well, I like my treasure better. I'm going to keep that. But in the beginning, what we did was opened up with this power where the man finds the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. And what does he do? He sells everything that he has. And what does he do with that money? He takes that money. He goes, buys the field that the treasure was hidden in. And that new treasure, that greater treasure, is his joy. Two very different people, very different outcomes. The first man says, you know what? The kingdom of God is worth everything that I have. See, he didn't just give away what he had in his bank. It says that he sold all his possessions. He literally got rid of everything Because the kingdom of heaven was such a great treasure to have that he needed nothing else in his life but the kingdom. The other man, when he was posed with this question, says, no, what I have is greater than what the kingdom offers me and the treasures in heaven, and so I will walk away sorrowful. Because it doesn't matter what your treasure is like on earth, when you say no to Jesus, it will always be a sorrowful time. See, when we truly encounter the kingdom of heaven, something happens. We inherently give up all of our material wealth. If you have truly encountered God's kingdom, what happens in your heart 
What happens with your materials, what happens with your possessions is all of those things become nothing. They are all things that you give up. See, when I talked about that story in the beginning of when I was a teenager and this man asked that question, would you give everything if God asked for it? Really, as I grew up and learned about what the Christian walk, I realized that it wasn't a question of would I give everything to God as a Christian. Really, the question that we should be asking ourselves as Christians, as Christ followers, is have I given everything to God? Have you given all you have to find the kingdom of heaven? See, if you are not willing to give up everything that you have because the kingdom of heaven is so powerful, so worthy, so holy, and so righteous, then really the question begs to be asked is, have you truly encountered the kingdom? Because when you encounter the kingdom of God and you look at all the things you have around you, all the things that you have around you become rust and rotting in the eyes of the kingdom. When you behold God's glory, when you behold God's kingdom, and then you look at everything you have, you realize how worthless everything else is compared to the beauty of God's kingdom. So we have to stop asking ourselves, is would I give this to God? And start asking ourselves, have I given everything to him? See, Jesus says a line that is so difficult to cope with in our culture. He says this, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. Many people think that the answer to their problems, even the answer to their Christianity, is money. You know, if I just had more money, then I would be able to give more to God. If I just had more money, I'd be able to be generous to my neighbor. If I just had more money, I would be out of debt. If I just had more money. But what Jesus says here is actually, the more money you have, the more difficult it becomes to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, in our culture, this is just as shocking as it was in the culture that Jesus was speaking to, because in Old Testament, their understanding of Scripture and money is that the more money that you had meant the more God loved you, the more blessing that you had from Him. They directly correlated material wealth with obedience to God. And so when Jesus says this thing, it blows their minds away, and the disciples ask, who then can be saved? If rich people aren't going to be saved, who can be saved, God? Because essentially what they were saying is if the most obedient and the most blessed aren't allowed into the kingdom, if it's hard for them, if it's impossible for them, then we who are poor, who have nothing, who obviously sinned, and that's why we have nothing, then how in the world are we going to get to heaven? See, in our culture where we say it's the pursuit of happiness where we look at everybody who has wealth and we think they have it all and we watch documentaries about them and we wish we were them and we think about their getaway homes and their vacations and all of the amenities and the things that they have and we think, man, that would solve all of my problems if I just had that. But really, if God gave you everything that you wanted, 
Ask yourself, would that increase your need for God or decrease your need for God? If God gave you all the money, if God gave you all the possessions, if God gave you all the vacations, would that wipe out your prayer life? Because what happens when you seek first the kingdom of God is when God gives you the things that you seek, it only increases your dependence on him because you realize more and more and more how little I have to do with the equation and how much he has to do with it. See, wealth, not the devil, is God's biggest competition for our hearts. That is why I believe giving towards God's kingdom to put God first cannot be overlooked in our life. Or as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, he says that the church, as a church, we need to grow or excel in this act of grace, of generosity. He says you have grown in your speech, right? We know how to talk as Christians. That's the first thing you learn when you become one. He says you have grown in faith. Yeah, we got that. We understand I know how to do this. You have grown in love, right? This is the first and foremost important commandment to love God and love thy neighbor. You grow in those things, but do not neglect the other areas you need to grow in, Paul says. In the act of generosity, excel in this as well, because this is just as much a spiritual discipline as all the other things that you have grown in. See, kingdom Giving keeps God at the front of our money expenses and therefore keeps him at the front of our heart. Kingdom giving pushes our greed away constantly. Kingdom giving practically helps us worship God first and foremost in all that we do. See, Jesus says in Matthew 6 that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. The other master named is money. It is not Satan. Why? Because Satan is not offering you job security. Satan is not offering you comfort. Satan is not offering you peace. Satan is not offering you joy. What are all those things being offered by? They are offered by wealth. The biggest false idol, the biggest false god that we serve that falsely promises everything that God promises is not Satan in his wealth. In God, we find our security. In God, we find our future. In God, we find our joy. In God, we find our contentedness. In God, we find all that we need. But yet money is the thing that falsely promises all of those things as well. We cannot serve two masters. You either have given it all to God or you have not. See, if budgeting is not a spiritual discipline, just like prayer is a spiritual discipline in your life, then you are giving room for your heart to be led by a false master. Do you understand that? Just like if you wake up and you do not pray in the morning and you do not read the scripture, you are giving room for the enemy to tempt you. It's the same thing. If you do not budget your money, what are you doing? You are giving room for the enemy to tempt you and lure you away with the, money of, with the master of money. Right? We should plan our budget around God owning all that we have. 
not what parts we want to give him. So usually when we look at our budget, it's like, okay, I'll give this percentage to God. The rest is mine. What am I going to do? That's actually a really poor way of looking at your budget. What happens when you look at your budget is you just say, God, all of this is yours. What should I do? God, everything I own, everything I have, everything I do is yours. But yet, in our Christian walk, we have been taught to compartmentalize all the different aspects of our life. We go to work, and work stays at work. I don't witness at work. That's work. I can get in trouble. God forbid I be persecuted for sharing the gospel at my job. Right? Sunday is for church. I go to church. I do my shopping after. I go home. We settle in. We get ready for the week. I set my schedule. Right? If God is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. So that means just like you pray on a Sunday or in the morning before you go to work, you should be praying over your schedule for the week. You should be praying over your budget. You should be praying over every aspect that you have and that you do because God wants everything. God does not want a part of you. God does not want a piece of you. God does not want this ounce or this hour on Sunday. God wants everything that you have to offer. And when we go to him and say, but God, I went on Sunday. But God, I pray. But God, I read my chapter today. He will look at your heart and see the part that you do not want to give. And he will say, what about that? We cannot hide because he discerns our thoughts and our hearts. What have we hidden from him because we do not want to give it to him? See, when Jesus makes that statement about who can be saved and the disciples freak out, Jesus says this beautiful thing later on. He says, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Let me tell you, next time you quote that scripture that all things are possible with God, I want you to remember that God is promising to save you from money every single time you quote that scripture. He's not trying to make you stronger for a football game, okay? He's not trying to make you find a parking spot when you quote that. When you quote that scripture, what he is saying is he is saying literally this, that it requires just as much salvation, miracle power for you to be saved from your love for money than it does for someone to be healed. He is saying it requires just as much miracle salvation power for our hearts to be turned from wealth to Jesus than it does for us to be rid of our addictions, than it does for us to stop with the chronic sin that we have been praying for. When we look to Jesus, it is impossible on our own to be saved from mammon, from money, from wealth, and the evil that his roots are steeped in our hearts is unless we have the salvation, power, and grace of God. What he is saying is that if you don't have him, then it is impossible for you to be saved. When you look at the things that usually we think, man, that requires the power of God, lust addiction, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, healing, 
We need to add something to that list. And that is the desire of wealth, of personal gain, of mine, of possession. Because when the disciples say, who can be saved? He says, you know what? Guess what? Nobody can be saved on their own. But I will save them. All things are possible with God. It may be impossible for you to see salvation on your own, but know with God, if you struggle with this today, if you think, God, how do I give you everything? If it, if it is a question burning on your heart like it was burning on mine, know this. That it is God who has promised to save you from this. And nothing else has the power to do so but him. See, probably the strongest example of how literal Jesus is about us giving him everything is found in Luke chapter 14. And we're going to read that together in verse 25. I want you to listen to what Jesus says. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will now sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Now listen to this, verse 33. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, when Jesus ends with renouncing all, he had given three categories that we should think about before becoming his disciple. The three categories that he gives are the three things that I think we struggle with most to give God in our life, and that's Family, money, and power. In this example of renouncing all, historically, these are the three things that are closest to our heart, the things that really entrap people the most, that we will say, I will give you everything, but I will not give you that. You know, in America, we're so used to renouncing family, so that's not really a big one. <laughs> Maybe for some people it is, but... In cultures all around the world, when you get baptized, you are excommunicated from the family. You no longer are the brother. You are no longer the sister. You are no longer the mother. You are no longer the father. You are done with. You are gone. He uses the example of counting the cost to build something. See, God doesn't want you to go into your walk with him blind. There are several examples where he uses this saying, count the cost. 
See, he wants you to come in with eyes wide open. And sometimes we've been lied into the kingdom where it's just going to be flowers. It's going to be fun. It's going to be just this, you know, frolicking through the woods together, just you and God. And he, he's just going to, you know, pat you on the shoulder every moment of the way. But God says the open and the easy path is the one that leads to destruction. But the narrow and the hard path, that is the one that leads to heaven. See, the only way our faith is perfected, we read in James, is through trials and hard times. That's where endurance is built up and we can walk into heaven with a perfect faith when we go through the hardship of life and do not give in. So when God calls us into the kingdom, he wants us to come in with our eyes open and says, count the cost. When you encounter the kingdom of God, when you encounter Jesus, know what he is asking you to enter into. That he is calling you to sell all that you have, to give everything that you have for the treasure that awaits you in heaven. For the kingdom of God is more worthy, more precious, more abundant, greater than anything that we can have here on earth. And if you withhold your schedule, if you withhold your budget, if you withhold your work, if you withhold your time, then what you are saying, God, is I have counted the cost and I found that you are not worthy. In Hebrews 10, it says that if we come to know Jesus and we walk away, we have trampled on the blood of our Savior. See, God wants us to understand the cost. That he is not asking, would you do this anymore if you follow him? Really, the question that is being posed is, have you done it? And if you haven't, what is stopping you? From doing it. See, there's two things that I have learned over the years. The first thing is God has promised to care for his children. And so when I do with the money he has given me, what he wants me to do with it, what he has asked of me, then I will be fine. Scripture is very clear that if, he, if the lilies are so beautiful, if the birds have their clothes and they are taken care of, how much more his children? See, the thing is, what we find the things that give us joy, that's the problem. See, God will take care of our shelter and he'll take care of our clothes. Nothing else are promised. But when we find our joy in possession, when we find our joy in material, when we find our joy in the amenities of the American life, that's when the problem comes. Because when all those things are stripped away, what we will find is our joy is stripped away as well. But if our joy is only found in one place, it's found in Jesus, then when all the things of life are stripped away, then we will find something to be true, that our joy has not been stripped away, that I can live without this or that, but I cannot live without Jesus. So as long, devil, as you take what you want in my life, as long as the world may strip me of my job and my things, my home, whatever it is, as long as I have Jesus, then I cannot be stripped of my joy. So God, I do not care what you want. I don't care what you take because you give and you take away. You can have it all. But as long as I have you, which no one can take from me, then I have joy and I have all that I need. 
See, when God is Lord of all, and I sit and I pray and I say, God, what do you want to do with my finances this year? What do you want to do with my finances this month or today? And God says, I want you to do this or I want you to do that. And I say, God, don't you know that means that this vacation I was planning isn't going to happen? Yeah, I know. It's okay. I want you to do this. All right, God, it's all yours. I know something and I've learned it time after time that God is the one who cares for me better than I can care for myself. And so when I follow him into the unknown and do things that I think are radically crazy, God reminds me that worldly wisdom is very different than godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is give it away and have faith in God that he will take care of it. Worldly wisdom is put it in the bank account and just wait for that time when I need it because God didn't think about that future yet. But godly wisdom, in its foolishness, Scripture says, is more wise than the wisest of humanity. And so when God calls you to do something with all that you have, and you start going through the scenarios, but God, have you thought of this? Yes, he's thought of it. And he still calls you to it. And guess what? He's perfecting your faith through it. Because it's going to be hard when you do it, and you're going to learn endurance through it. And at the end of it, you're going to have a faith and a repertoire of all the ways God has come through in your life. So that when the next storm comes and it becomes harder, you're going to say, I remember when God did this. Or when God calls you to a deeper place of obedience, you're going to say yes because you say, I remember last time I obeyed him. See, God stopped showing up because you stopped saying yes. And you wonder why God hasn't been doing anything with your life. When you stop saying yes to him, when you stop being obedient to him, he will stop asking. Or maybe he'll just keep asking that same thing for 20 years until you finally say yes to it. The second thing I learned is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. It says this, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will provide thanksgiving to God. See, when I give to God, and God sees my stewardship, and he gives me more. Guess what I do? I say, all right, great, more vacations, bigger home, nicer car. Nope. What does Paul say here in 2 Corinthians? He says, when you are enriched, what do you do with that enrichment? It is an opportunity to be more generous. So God is not giving to you so that you can live in comfort. God is giving to you because he's seen that you've learned how to steward generously what he already has given to you so that you can steward the next thing he's given even more generously than in the past. See, so often we give and we want because, God, I need more and I want more, so I'm going to give today thinking that I want that bigger thing, that nicer thing, that shinier thing in the future when God is saying, well, then I'm not giving that to you because I'm giving to you so you can be more generous, not so you can be more comfortable. Come on. See, these questions should arise when we ask, what does it mean to give God all? We have to ask this. How do I support the mission of the church? This is God's mission. When we're sitting down and writing a budget, we can look at Scripture and say, what does it mean to give God all? These are the things that Scripture says to ask. How do I support the mission? How do I stay generous to others around me? 
How do I stay faithful to my commitments? Rent, food, bills, etc. How do I get out of or stay out of debt? Do you know that, yes, slavery may not exist in America, but Scripture says the one who owes debt is a slave to the debtor. And so 80% of Americans are in debt. That means 80% of Americans are enslaved to the debtor. Guess what? You can move to whatever country you want. There's one thing that sure will find you, and that is your debt. You cannot run away from that. The average credit card debt in America is $8,000. How do I save for my future? John Wesley said three things in scripture he does. He gives as much as he can. He saves as much as he can. And he spends as much as he can. But in America, what do we do? We spend as much as we can. We save as much as we can. Then whatever's left over, we give as much as we can. And that's why we don't give because we're in debt. By the time we got to the I mean, forget about the, we've done everything in the first bracket. By the second, most people don't even have a savings, so they never get to the second. And that means the majority never even get to the third. So you have to stop asking your feelings if God is worth it. And ask your bank account. Some of you, the most godly thing that you will do this week is go open up your bank statement and read through it and ask yourself, have I put God first in my life? Sometimes we think of the spiritual things or only what we've called the spiritual things like prayer and reading. But I can tell you some of the most godly things that God has shaped my character through has been the things that other people would never say are spiritual. So what we can do is instead of asking ourselves theoretically, will I give God all? Have I given God all? Go home and ask your bank, have I given God all? Because on that bank statement, on that credit card statement, you will find who you have given all to. You will find what has your possession, your love. It's all right there for you to see. Stop asking, would I, today, and start asking, have I? And go home and check and do your due diligence if you think you have. Can you stand with me and pray? We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718 718- Four three six zero two four two extension zero.
we trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.